I can assure you that I was not groomed since birth to have some cushy job that even a moron like you could perform. <laughs> While you were still learning how to spell your name, I was being trained to conquer galaxies. Josh, did you have to go to film school to be an editor? I mean, I went and got a degree in telecommunications, just kind of similar, I guess. Hmm. Well, well, you were still learning how to spell your name. <laughs> I was being trained to spoil galaxies. <laughs> <laughs> This is spoilers. That was good, spoilers. dude. That was really good. That's incredible. <laughs> Hello and welcome to spoilers. I'm your host Corey, and I'm very excited to bring you in for what is sure to be the greatest episode of spoilers since Los Enchiladas. <laughs> I'm going to introduce my fellow man animal spoiler man with an opening question. <laughs> My opening question for you guys, and I think you're going to see what direction I'm going here, is what is your favorite cult? But also, and some of our listeners may know this, but I am a former Scientologist. So you, spoiler man, I want to give you guys the opportunity to ask me anything about Scientology as well in your opening. And we're starting with Pappy. Hello, this is Pappy. Recording from Kalamazoo, Michigan, like the Primus song. I am super excited for this episode. Way more excited than I was for Los Enchiladas. I don't know why that caught a stray. Hey! But yeah, I'm all I'm here for it. <laughs> Favorite cult is Heaven's Gate. I think that was Marshall Applewhite's cult. They're the cult who had the the comet bebop or whatever that was gonna fly down and so they all killed themselves and had the matching Nikes. I feel like they have like the Nike shoe cult. Yeah, it's like some of the most iconic cult imagery. And if you ever look up Marshall Applewhite, it's like, how did this dude get all these people to follow him into this? That's freaking crazy. But yeah, like a super cool logo too. Like, I don't know. Maybe if I was in the right place or time, I would have been part of Heaven's Gate. They were big time Trekkies too. These Ooh. guys were super into Star Trek. <laughs> they said, we want to be part of a crew, a crew which acts as a whole. And they looked at Star Trek and said, that's it. We watched several approved TV programs. Star Trek was one of them. It was about expanding our potential into space travel, which was analogous to what we were doing. He espoused the hive mentality of being a cog in the wheel for the benefit of the overall collective. Though said that's like depicting the next level, the members of the board. I thought, ooh, that's, you know, that's kind of like uncomfortable. A cog in the wheel is a very significant <laughs> item when you're in our father's kingdom serving as a member of a crew. We are the Borg. Resistance is futile. To me, that would kind of be an appeal, you know, like, fuck, like uh, the Star Trek cult. That sounds kind of cool. Well, you're into Star Trek and you are into Scientology. I guess I want to ask a like, kind of a personal question, if that's OK. And I, I 
want to ask a lot of questions over the course of this pod, but was there a moment that you started to question it? Were you ever like all in and then something like a dam broke and then like you didn't believe it anymore? Like, can you just take us through that? Like, was there a singular idea or principle where you're like, this makes no sense? Yeah, well, a lot of Scientologists have that big turning point. And some of them have it during the big alien reveal when they get that. <laughs> not a lot of people make it that far, you know? So that's kind of secret information. Not everyone is aware of that or even believes it. And the people that are aware of it deny it. So I didn't have a big moment like that personally, Pappy. I never was all in. I never really believed any of it. I kind of did it because I was told I had to because I was a kid mm-hmm. that was brought into Scientology. Now, some of these kids get real fanatical about it, which is probably true for any religion. Like, these Scientology kids are fucking diehards. They're all about Scientology. But I always kind of wondered if, like, some of them are like, this is actually full of shit. I have a friend that some of you guys have interacted with. I won't say his name, but he was also a Scientologist. And I feel like me and him were on the same level. Like, this is just some bullshit we have to do because our parents make us. Mm. So I kind of just, like eased out of it as I got into my teenage years and eventually I moved across the country with my mom and that was like the perfect opportunity to not have to do it anymore can you Brett and ask like one quick follow up is there like a, a Scientology equivalent of like Sunday school Come on. CCD like never stops Sunday school you know is there like a, a kids <laughs> gathering of where you learn the the tenets, the basics of Scientology for children specifically. Scientology has this weird view on children where like L. Ron Hubbard said something to the effect of like, children are not beings to be coddled or treated (laughs) like basically how most people treat children. He was, his idea was basically to treat them like adults. John Travolta took that to heart. So in the Scientology course room, there are kids in there along with the adults. They're just doing more kid-friendly material. There's a lot more pictures and stuff like that. Mm. Josh, you are up next, sir. Hi, this is Josh from Goshen. I feel like I should just get my Scientology question out of the way. What benefit do the people at the top of the pyramid get in Scientology? Is it just power and money? It seems a little more deviant. I get like this weird, real bad rapey vibe. Like, what's going on up there? What can you tell us? <laughs> the uh, higher ups in Scientology? Mm-hmm. There is only one lord of Scientology, and he does not share power. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise? No, it's actually David Miscavige. Oh, okay. Tom Cruise is kind of like a... A PR figurehead. I mean, he he has a lot of weight in Scientology because he's very friendly with the actual leader. But there's a very sinister fucker in charge of Scientology called David Miscavige. Not his wife. She's missing, right? Is that the whole Shelly? Yeah, there's there's something about that. You know, there's a lot of stuff about Scientology that's kind of unsubstantiated. But one thing is for sure, there is one man in charge, and it's David Miscavige. The thing is, if you look at this guy, if you look at a picture of him, if you ever Google him, just Google, like, leader of Scientology, it's like, I don't know how you can look at this guy and not come to the conclusion that he's evil. Like, he's fucking evil. He's a supervillain, this guy. Have you met him? And I never met him. 
not everyone gets to meet him, that's for sure. But, you know, all the stories that have come out about him basically paint him as, as you would expect, a guy that kind of worked his way up to kind of pull ultimate power from the church, you know, now that L. Ron Hubbard's dead. Treats a lot of people like shit. He's a bad dude. Most of the bad things that are around the Church of Scientology stem from him. <laughs> Don't censor yourself. I mean, like, tell us what you really think about him. <laughs> Small dick motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> the more you learn about Scientology, the more you just will naturally hate this guy. I believe you, Corey. Um, for the sake of moving on, I'll give you my favorite cult. This cult followed a sign by a lot of names starting in the early 60s. Names such as Yardbirds, Derek and the Dominoes, no. Cream, <laughs> The Dirty Mac, yes. and finally just Eric Clapton. I'm talking about people that are fans of Eric Patrick Clap. Just his given name. Apparently, along the way, he needed to add that ton at the end. <laughs> what kind of person does that? I'm not sure, but. Probably a guy with the nickname of the Clap. <laughs> you got. You all know how I feel about Eric Clapton. We've drugged him over the. Yeah, he never shut up about him. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, Josh from Goshen. So, all right, I got to ask you about Eric Clapton because I was talking to my brother just a couple days ago. He's not a regular listener, right? But he'll listen to some podcasts that I make. My brother, Tyler. Shout out, Tyler. Something came up about Eric Clapton, and I was like, oh, yeah, some people don't like him. And he was like, why? And I said, I think it has to do with, like, racism, but I don't really remember. I know I have a friend that really doesn't like him. (laughs) And he's like, racism? And he said, like, what? This must have been something that came up in the late 70s, right? Yeah, like 50 years ago. Started a, started a movement, man. Rock against racism. He just didn't want black people to move to the UK. No big deal. He really wanted them out. <laughs> it's not great, Kylo. No, it was, a, well, it was a rough night. Well, my brother's question on this topic, and maybe you can answer it, Josh, was, was this in the late 70s when Clapton was nothing but a belligerent musician? And I can kind of see some apologetics seeping in there, you know, like you're already kind of like giving him a pass. But what would be your response to that? Well, he's just belligerent. OK, give him a pass. Just, just a belligerent musician, Josh. We've all been there. Um, trying to look up what year this was like. I 78, 76. I think it was in Birmingham, England. He wasn't like a 12 year old child actor Justin Bieber saying these things out of like rage hate he was just like a grown person with a point of view that happens to be aged very very poorly (laughs) and I think he should be thrown under the bus for said opinion and also his music is like I, I was talking to someone the other day about this I feel like he's not that exceptional but every boomer can like see themselves in him like he's the average boomer it's like, I can think of like several teachers I had in high school that deep down inside, they're kind of like, yeah, I'm Eric Clapton too. I am yeah. too. <laughs> Thank you very much, Josh. Over to Stevie. Oh, this is gonna be a great episode. I've been waiting for more Josh Clapton hate on the pod. <laughs> I have thoughts on cults, but like, 
Kylo talked to me earlier in the day and kind of set that up. I'm not that obsessed with Clapton bread. No, but it's really like funny you bring that up because I was just talking about that with Pappy. Kind of like mm-hmm. I love Josh's like Clapton takes. Like they make certain <laughs> episodes for me. Thank you, Josh. No problem. This is Stevie recording from Elkhart. Man, my favorite call has to be one I probably would have joined up with in the 80s if I was a wayward spirit. Didn't have a lot going on, and someone said, hey, you want to move west to uh, Oregon? There's these people called the Rajneeshis. Mmm, nice. That bought an entire town and went to war with these simple bumpkins and poisoned (laughs) a salad bar and tried to murder people. Um, But before that, before that, it was a lot of purple, a lot of Rolls Royces, (laughs) a lot of sex, um, and pretty much just like, you know, dance and farm every now and then, maybe police the people of Bend, Oregon, and, uh, you know, go from there. So I I think before, like, stuff would have gotten weird, I probably would have joined the Rajneeshis, not going to lie. I've never heard of them. The Rajneeshis? That's an interesting one. Yeah. Wasn't there a Netflix doc? Yeah, it's called Wild Country. You have to watch it. Our vision was to create a community based on compassion and sharing. Bhagwan's agenda was simply to raise the consciousness of humanity. That was his goal. America was land of promise. It was my conviction we will have no problems. I don't think America has a place for these people. Everyone in Antelope mistrusts Rajneesh. I want that guru and his evil influence out of my city. They're run by satanic power. There is talk of vigilantes who may seek revenge on the Rajneeshis. A bomb went off in the middle of the community. More than 60 followers evacuated. It was a catastrophe. Mostly unjust, terrifying. I, I knew about the Rajneeshis before that Netflix documentary, but after watching it, it's like, yeah, I would have joined. Probably. I mean, they had a lot of good stuff to offer. Like, you know, just sex and free food and showers every now and then. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it didn't. It wasn't the worst cult in the world to join up with. Um, but what was your last... Oh, uh, any question about Scientology? Hit me. Um, this is going to sound like kind of like just a softball question. But I'm curious of it. I'm kind of of the mindset that like... I think religion is good for people to a point. I don't care like really what you believe in. I think you have faith. That's awesome. When it comes to Scientology, are there like two really broken down factions where it's like there's people that legitimately think this is healthy for them and nothing is wrong with it. And there's people that know this is just a broken system. They don't care like who they abuse. Mm. You know, I've always maintained that like any cult leader like has to know they're full of shit right so i suspect like have you seen it like have you seen it do good for people oh yeah and you know it has some very basic universal truths in the writing that you know are just really there to kind of help you think straight and manage your relationships better and manage communication better and communicate more effectively and not be so influenced by trauma of the past. So there's some like psychotherapy aspects to Scientology and that's fine. 
but really the organization itself is extremely problematic and the upper tier of of auditing that people will get in Scientology really just reveals how full of shit the creator <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard was. And you know, it was exposed wonderfully, I think, in South Park. Not quite the context that uh, is required in the South Park episode, I think. Oh, stepping on my question. It's not just the alien thing, because that is really a hidden piece of information. And it's really upper tier. No one would join with that just being like the book one that you read. Uh, they have a very manipulative system to get you very deep into debt and deeply ingrained in their like little subculture. That was going to be my last question: is like your standard Scientologist, like you know, not guy who's super high up and not guy who just joined, but like your average run-of-the-mill Scientologist. How much do you think like they're in debt to Scientology, or how much how much have they put into the church? Do you think roughly? You're like regular going Scientologist, not someone who's like dedicated their complete life to it right. and not someone that's just kind of trying it out. At least many thousands of dollars. <sighs> like tens? They'll get at least many thousands of dollars from donations probably because they really kind of manipulate and persuade in a very pushy way to get you to donate and it's not really just like, oh, come on, please donate. It's like, are you considering the greater good of humanity? <laughs> <laughs> Do they target, like, upper crust type people? Like, if a homeless person walked into a church of Scientology, would they, you know, administer aid and food to them? Well, no. L. Ron Hubbard straight up said in an interview, like, we have nothing to do with the insane. Mm. John Travolta took that to heart. <laughs> like, basically, I, I want nothing to do with the people that don't have money and aren't going to make us look good. And every level of auditing requires some kind of donation, right? Like nothing's free, you know? Yeah, well, there's donations, and then there's the services that you actually pay for, which is the auditing. But in addition to the thousands that you spend on the auditing services, they expect you to just give them money. Brett, you're up next. Okay. Um, I don't really like any cults at all but uh, to Good play the game since I used to like the show Smallville I'll say Nexium because Ooh. I like Allison Mack well I used to um, oh that's a bad one <laughs> that's too bad fuck them all well, that was just a joke I, I honestly just thought about the leader and his volleyball outfit and it always cracks me up oh they're psychos for sure it's great well I mean he's getting he was getting taken care of, so I guess I can see why he was involved, but... That was the one where they brand your balls or something, right? Isn't that a thing? <laughs> or they brand your body? They brand you. I didn't know if it was balls. I mean... There was like a sect of Nixium. I'm sad. I've watched a lot of Nixium material. There was a sect of Nixium that was run by the leader Keith and Allison Mack that was for women only, and it was uh, somewhat sexual in nature, and they would brand the women, yes. Mm -hmm. That window is where it happened. I was the first woman in my group of slaves to be branded. The smell that came from the cauterizing pen burning my flesh was so intense that it filled up the entire townhouse. It was torture, but 
I still went through with it. How do you even begin to explain something like this? I think even worse than the pain was finding out what was really, what the brand really was. What was the brand? Well, ultimately we found out that the brand was Keith Raniere's initials, but for a very long time, we were told that it was a symbol of the elements. And that was another major lie that was told from the top down. But Nixium, in a lot of ways, in what they do with helping people is just a ripoff of Scientology. Watered down Scientology. I'm actually going to, uh, I'm not gonna get really too much involved in Scientology discussion because I don't want to end up on a list. Too late. But I will ask you, you know, I don't really have much. I was gonna ask you about the South Park. I guess what I, my questions are, what are your thetan levels and do you think, who do you think is the best actor between Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, or that Napoleon Dynamite guy? Don't you understand, Elron? It's me, Tom Cruise. Yeah, I know who you are. Well, haven't I done well, Elron? Haven't you enjoyed my acting? Which film did you like best? Well, I mean, you're not, you're not like as good as Leonardo DiCaprio, but you're okay, I guess. What? I mean, you're not Gene Hackman or that guy that played Napoleon Dynamite, but you're okay. I'm nothing. I'm a failure in the eyes of the prophet. Ah! Hey! <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was going to ask you about the South Park, uh, literally what we've talked about before, about context, and you said it anyway, so. Uh, do people who are really high level, you kind of touched on this too, uh, do they actually believe in this stuff, or are they in it for the tax benefits and legal protection and stuff like that? Uh, they are in it because they believe in it or they have convinced themselves that they have to believe in it because they've spent enough time and money that there's really no option to leave at this point. All their family members are in it. Their husband or wife is in it. So you're stuck when you're in a cult for that long, as a lot of Scientologists are. And like, it's how much money have I put into this thing? Am I just going to leave now that I know about this weird fucking alien thing? So I think you have to convince yourself and go along with it. I'm sure some people don't need convincing and they're just like, oh yeah, aliens, fine, whatever. But, uh, you know, the, the members don't get that much benefit, Brett. They lose a lot of money and time in Scientology. So the tax benefit thing is more for the organization itself and for the leaders of it. That is kind of something I was always wor wondered about is because, you know, you hear about all these really rich people, like Tom Cruise is really wealthy, but don't you have to give up like most of your money or a good chunk of your money to them? Yeah, I mean, all of the services you get at Scientology, unlike most churches and cults, is uh, something you pay for. It's like a la carte. It's like indulgences from the Catholic Church. Basically. You take yeah. courses, which are not that much money, Courses will run you $50 here, $100 here, $200. Auditing, you pay like, you know, 5,000 bucks for however many hours. And then you do that auditing amount of time until you need the next amount of time. And it's How an expensive much? endeavor. I don't know the exact price because it'll depend on the auditor. So there is no set list of prices for them to give you for that reason. It's kind of a nice little scam they have going on. It depends Jesus. on how trained the auditor is, right? Do you want, like, the best auditor? Do you really want to get a lot out of this? Well, I mean, it's worth the money. It's not only for your life now, but your 
uh, future life, right? Because you don't just live this life, you are born again. Your Thetan continues to operate. Uh, I'll just throw two last questions at you. One is when you leave the church, do your Thetans leave and go find someone else? And how much money does it take to get to the 36th chamber of Shaolin? <laughs> or going clear. If you leave Scientology, your Thetan, which is you, the real you in Scientology terms, it's your soul, right? So that's like a good equivalent. Uh, so when you leave, you know, you just take your soul with you. You are your soul. You just happen to be trapped in a body. But if you do Scientology, you can escape this trap in your next life and kind of ascend back to where we came from, which is it's basically like 50 sci-fi novels at that point, right? You go back to another planet and you... Uh, Cyclo? Go back to Cyclo, baby. Nice. Which takes us into the movie of the evening, Battlefield Earth, a saga of the year 3000. Which is not what it's listed as on IMDb, but you do see that as the movie starts. And Josh, I gotta ask you, what is the first thing you notice that is really wrong with Battlefield Earth? <laughs> what? How perfect it is just seems not right. It's unnatural. Unfair. What a take. <laughs> Speaking of unnatural, the color scheme. Okay, so it struck me we get this information that man is an endangered species. Man animal. It's said a couple times later in the movie, but we also get it here just with screen text. Um, it's kind of a futuristic text with mountains. <clears throat> I don't know. I think we've seen a lot of movies like this where there's kind of people living in the desert. As long as we stay here, there'll never be enough to eat. Never. There may be other places we could live. Places where the food is more plentiful. All they would take is for one of the demons to follow you back from the forbidden land and we'd all be struck down. Have you ever seen one? Have you? Has anyone here ever seen one? A demon! Uh, a monster! A beast! There is something off about this. <laughs> this tribe that like lives nomadically or something in the desert. Can you guys put a finger on it? Is it the movie making? What it what is off here? Acting. Dutch angles are the number one. A lot of hopping, a lot of hissing. <laughs> a lot of whoop whoop monkey sounds. Have you ever seen one? A demon, a monster, a beast. <laughs> God. Sucks too, because I like Barry Pepper. Man, it's brutal. Not a good way to intro him though, right? In this uh, no. little tribe. Now that man is an endangered species, apparently we all dress like we're on the set of Xena Warrior Princess. That part kind of seems fun, I'll admit. Uh, the rest of it, not so much. I was going to say, have you guys seen Xena or uh, the other woman <laughs> who had a spin-off series or Hercules? Like, maybe I just personally have seen so much of that shit that this doesn't really shock me. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it did seem like a cable show and cable primetime show from the 90s. It was interesting attire because yeah. I was like, all right, you know. 
nomadic tribesmen, whatever. But then throughout the movie, they're like war hooping. And it's like, okay, they, I, I think they were going, f I could just see the meeting right now that says futuristic Native Americans, but they're all white. <laughs> and to see them like war hooping is very strange. I honestly think only one of the performances is really, really bad. And that's John Travolta. John Travolta, down the line. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like none of these actors are like the main problem. It's all of like the presentation of this movie. Like I said, like the Dutch angles, it's never, there's never straight on. And then like, there's so much cutting. Like the average shot is like one second at most. It's like the good sun. It's insane. It's disorienting. It's exhausting to watch. They repeat lines sometimes, and they even repeat shots. Like, they'll re-zoom back into that cave painting, the close-up of the dragon. It's really cheesy. A work of art, <laughs> so beautiful, they have to come back to it later in the movie when he's well beyond that area. The Dutch angles are something that are, like, famous in this movie. This movie is famously known for its weird cinematography choices. Lots of close-ups, but more noticeably are the Dutch angles, which is something that, like, I feel like I shouldn't notice in a movie. Well, I think he did it on purpose, so I thought I read that he wanted it to look like a comic book. What yes. do you think, Brett? Does it look like a comic book? Oh, no. I would not say that. I thought even more glaring was the way they would cut from scene to scene with this like triple wipe edit thing. They had to. Why? <laughs> they had to. They had to, dude. It's the only way that you could. That, it's the only way the movie's even watchable is if you do that wipe. If you go from <laughs> Dutch angle to Dutch angle to Dutch angle. Like that many times is it's gonna be even more disorienting to watch than it already is. Yeah. So the only way to clean that is to like reestablish like from place to place to place, and to do that is that wipe. But you're wiping into a Dutch angle instead of just going from Dutch angle to Dutch angle to Dutch angle. Does that make sense? Yeah, break your neck trying to keep up with them, you know. Dude, I think the editor, whoever it was, hats off to him literally edited the best version that we could have ever possibly seen from this movie. At that point though, just start throwing in like different shapes for wipes, like a heart, like a the star, fish eye, you know, <laughs> the like star. a star. Yeah. Like don't, like, I don't know. Like it's, it, they go to the well so many times. Is it subliminal? I feel like it was trying to be star Wars. I feel like that's like also part of why they went to that so many times. Are you guys really that jarred by the Dutch angles throughout? I feel like you really like. Dude, I can't watch it. I'm not technical enough to even barely notice. I feel like it. I, I settled into it. You settled into that, Josh? Honestly, like I thought you guys were overblowing this, and I'm looking back, obviously, <laughs> at images of the movie, and everyone's <laughs> extremely like tilted. And you're right, but yeah, I think I stopped noticing it after a time. Truly. <laughs> I don't notice it every time, but sometimes it just feels out of place. Sometimes I just want to go, why can't this be square? Like why two people are having a <laughs> shot reverse shot conversation. Like, why can't why? this be square? No one's running. No one's screaming. There's no chaotic zoom into someone's face. Why can't this be square? 
Our hero of this movie is played by Barry Pepper, like you mentioned, Brett. His name's Johnny. He leaves his tribe. He's kind of, you know, searching for something more out there beyond the confines of his village. And he meets a couple other uh, locals. He meets Carlo, who we see a lot in the movie. But Pappy, they are eventually captured by Cyclos. And why don't you kind of walk us through it? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was going out to kind of prove that there's no dragons beyond what they know. They're in some major city. I don't know if it's clear what state they are at this point. I thought they were in Louisville, Colorado. Could have been. Louisville, Colorado. Downtown Denver. I don't know. Well, they're in a cave, right? So I was thinking that was like maybe like even like Kentucky or something, but they stumble across a mall. Ooh, Bloomington. Okay. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll say that. They're in Bloomington, Indiana. Keep with the Trekkie <laughs> theme. <laughs> but... Like you said, he meets two other natives, and they're going to show him gods. And we come to find out that in the year 3000, what's been interpreted as artifacts from the gods originally just are just like the technology that we have today. And it's almost like the world got frozen in, you know, late 20th century United States, because there's like kind of similar cars, similar malls like we, like we had back then. Ah, Joe Rogan was just talking about this shit recently. Mm. If even one of those icebergs like that hit us during the Younger Dryas hit us, within four (laughs) generations, there'd be cavemen dancing around fires holding black slabs, hoping that they would be able to like get Google Maps or get Google answers for shit. Like chanting around the fire. I don't believe you. Jamie, look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, tangent. How come I've only ever heard Younger Jarius in the context of Joe Rogan episode? <laughs> <laughs> he invented it, the Younger Jarius period. I don't know. One thing that stands out for me is so that, like, one of these. What are the aliens called again? Sorry, they're the Cyclos? Not Psychos. Cyclos. Cyclos. One of the Cyclos is hunting them down. One of the things that stands out to me is that. Johnny is able to run through approximately 10 panes of glass undeterred and uh, is apparently fine from this. And the Cyclo's gun is said to stun, not kill. So he's collecting these man animals. That's right. The Cyclo's, they, they basically take humans that they find and use them for kind of like menial slave labor, just like lugging around rocks around their campsite and breaking down walls, very basic tasks, but they have a use for humans. There's not that many humans left in the year 3000. But it isn't long before we meet the guy that you mentioned is the worst actor in the movie, John Travolta, who plays the lead cyclo in this movie. He's called Turl. Of course, I'm sure our little agreement is still in effect. Now that you're leaving, that unfortunate little incident won't somehow magically appear in my file. Of course not. I'm a cyclo of my word. Because I've always told you everything I've overheard in here. Yeah. And your information has often proved to be quite useful. You know how they overreact back at home, planet. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do if they found out. Right. You better start figuring it out just said it won't appear in my file. I said it won't magically appear. There'll be nothing magical about it. I'm going to put it there. 
about you being a cyclo of your word. I am a cyclo of my word. And I will honor our agreement to the letter. As long as you were providing me with useful information, I wouldn't file the report. But now that I'm leaving this pitiful excuse for a planet, you will no longer be providing me with useful information. Will you? I'm begging you. My son just got accepted into the academy. First one ever in my family. You know how much it costs. Please, as a friend, couldn't you forget to file the report? Well, as a friend, I could forget to file the report. But unfortunately, I'm not your friend! <laughs> Stevie, what do you think about Turl? What a horrible name. If this is supposed to be your menacing villain, Turl, I mean... Turl. Turl. I mean, that sounds like, Turl, you know, someone man. you meet down in the deep south. <laughs> yeah, that's just Turl, man. That's how Turl is, you know. <laughs> just leave Turl be. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> Damn it, Turl. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, Turl, come on. It, does that have something to do with Scientology, Corey, that I don't know about? That's like a mm. nod to Scientology. <laughs> uh, it's not, but, you know, this is uh, this is something that's kind of, always said about this movie when Scientologists bring it up or if it comes up in their conversation they will tell you and it's true that this movie is based on a book written by L. Ron Hubbard that is in no way connected to Scientology it's a piece of fiction it's one of the huge sci-fi books that he wrote and he wrote a lot and they're very famously bad but he wrote a fuck ton of them this being I think the most popular among Scientology circles. He's literally like the most prolific writer of all time, right? Like that's like one of his, like he wrote the most books of anybody who's ever lived, I think. He was like a pulp writer, right? <laughs> he was, yeah. And, you know, he eventually worked his way into work, into novels and he was very heavily immersed in sci-fi novels and, it's kind of been revealed looking at some of his early works that some aspects of those were kind of brought into Scientology, some of the terms he used. Although I'm sure a Scientologist would kind of explain it away. Like, you know, he was discovering these things and inserting them into fiction, but they were real. Like, the state of clear, for example, is brought up in one of his early works, which is a Scientology term. This whole thing just feels like a total vanity project for Travolta. Like, there, it feels like there's no one on set telling him he shouldn't be acting the way that he's acting. <laughs> any of these scenes, like he's not getting, he's not getting any feedback. No adults on set. He's acting like he's at like the Globe Theater, acting in a Shakespeare play from the 1500s. Like, I, I literally hear that when he's talking. It's insane that he thought that was a wise choice. Once we finish mining out this miserable little planet, let's do the universe a favor. Let's exterminate a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're too much. So they tell me. It's funny, though. I mean, it has to be a vanity project, though. You're kind of right, though, Pap, because, like, if you're going to play the main villain, it's just an odd choice to just be... How do I explain his character? Is, is flamboyant a good word, or can I just That's over the one. top? Yeah, he's like flamboyantly diabolical, right? 
great word for John Travolta, flamboyant. Nothing's ever described him better. <laughs> it's a little spicy. It's like, it's like a parody on a character, but he's like taking it. He thinks it's serious. I mean, have you guys seen the movie um, Anger Management? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know Woody Harrelson's character? I've only seen it once. Barely. Uh, that uh, the crossdresser. Yeah, I was trying to remember the name. Uh, Galaxia. Yes, that's my German name. Travolta kind of sounds like that character. It's very strange. Well, don't you think whatever we're hearing from him in English is some sort of filter because he's never speaking English. He's speaking this other language. So I almost get his point of view if that should be delivered as like very clearly and concise English at that point. Does that make sense at all? They they play that movie game when they switch back and forth between the languages and like whose point of view it is and who can understand what. Who is responsible for allowing this man animal to run around unsupervised? The man animal shot the wrangler, sir. I thought they were speaking English. Mm -mm. It's a hunt for Red October thing. Same. I thought they were speaking English too. I thought the like the really smart ones knew how. To, I don't know. I mean, a couple of times that they show the other language, it couldn't be more different than the way John Travolta's talking. It's like a guttural, like low sound, and John Travolta's way up in an upper register. It's, it's very weird. I really hope Travolta did the uh, Spanish dub. Can I be more of an apologist for Scientology? Go ahead. John Travolta has <laughs> shit ton of makeup, prosthetics on. He's going through the hours to do this. I got to believe there's thought being put into this. And furthermore, like, I really think the way he acts that's so off-putting is what his species kind of is and does as a whole. Like, Forrest Whitaker is doing that same shit. Is he a bad actor? No. Um, that guy who comes into town to tell him that he's got to be there for 50 more cycles is doing like that same bravado shit. <laughs> it's just, that's truly like in character for the species, I think. But surely I could be of better service to the corporation. Home office is well aware of your academic achievements and obvious talents. That's why we've decided not to keep you here for another five cycles. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. I, I don't know if I could have kept my sanity to be here another five cycles. We've decided to keep you here for another 50 cycles. With endless options for renew. With endless options for renew. With endless options for renew. <laughs> It's like my favorite line of the movie, Josh, but then his boss shows up and he tells him, you're going to have to stay here for another five cycles. <laughs> and they think they're joking, but he's not joking. He says, we've decided to keep you for another 50 cycles with endless options for renewal, with endless options for renewal. And it repeats and repeats. And it's yeah, just it one of the silliest fucking things, man. There's some real dumb shit in this movie, like the opening spoiler line I mentioned. 
the delivery, okay, maybe that's the way they're supposed to be. It's still bad and weird and stupid, and they fucking look stupid. They look like low-rent Klingons mm-hmm. from Star Trek. Sometimes Travolta has five fingers on a hand. Sometimes he has six fingers on a hand. They're supposed to be the superior, intelligent alien race, and they're stupid as fuck. <laughs> I'll talk about some of the specifics of why I think they're stupid later, though. I mean, since you're talking about I give like the production or the um, the design of them no credit because it's they're still, at the end of the day, they basically look like people, you know? Like this race of aliens from the distant corners of the universe is basically just tall people with like wild, you know, dreadlock hair. You know, it's it's totally uncreative. It's dumb. And when you see like what they do to make them tall, right? And I'm sure there's some limitations with what can be done at this time. But like, it's just these giant fucking Super Mario Brothers movie shoes. Like these things are <laughs> fucking massive. The platforms. <laughs> They're platforms, yes. But like, even like the width of their shoes is insane. Stevie, let me ask you this. What makes a good sci-fi movie? Like, what does Sunshine do that this movie doesn't do? Well, I think the hallmark for any great sci-fi movie is amazing cinematography, first off. That's... Really? Usually with sci... Over story? Well, you tell me, Josh. Do you remember uh, Sunshine for the story or the cinematography? What is the story to 2001 A Space Odyssey, Josh? Uh huh. A bunch of good looking shots. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, what does Nolan do with all his shit? It's always amazing cinematography. It draws you in, it makes you go, oh my god, because you're going somewhere outside of your own universe. Like, even a sci fi movie that takes place on Earth can still take you out of this world. That's why I think cinematography is pretty much a staple of good sci-fi. Then comes really good story, in my opinion. Well said. If that answers your question, Corey, that's my opinion. Yeah, beautifully said. And I agree. And, you know, that's one of the big failings of this movie. At times, though, I think this movie can be pretty funny, like when really fucking bad choices are made. Brett, I'm going to go over to you for this one. What is it that these cyclos are after? At least Turl, John Travolta. What is he trying to get here? Okay, just as a side note, I'm dealing with some pain over here, so uh, my thoughts might not be... Where are you hurting? Your eye, Brett? Your heart? Yeah, I'm okay. My dog crushed my right testicle. Oh, Oh. dozer. It's dozer. He's... Okay, sorry. I'm testicle needs medicine. <laughs> yes, I, I'm, I was literally texting Brittany saying I need a painkiller. Okay, um, <laughs> he just sit on you. He was there, like where you see is, and then he just dropped really quick. Oh, I'm sorry. Right man, on the sack. Gross. It's okay. It's okay. Um, okay, sorry. Um, he they're mining for gold, but it's way too far out like the radiation there's too much uranium is that what he says there's too much uranium so he wouldn't be able to mine it so he wants to train the man animals to mine it and it's like against the rules kind of 
Maybe you were absent the day they taught economics at the academy, Kurt. But nobody works for free. Man animals do. What if we were to train them how to mine? <laughs> Man animals operating machinery. <laughs> Have you blown a head gasket? <laughs> I will be the laughing stock of the universe. Which is why you should have me take a group of man-animals with equipment out to a remote area, better that you don't know where, and try and train them. Have them do some test mining. That way, if it doesn't work out, no one will know. <laughs> the scenes between Turl and Kerr, or whatever names are, I can't tell if they're just, like, really funny or just really bad. <laughs> or both. They like, go back and forth. <laughs> they're, like, the least, two least trustworthy people of all time and then at the very end you're like A are we supposed to be rooting for Forrest Whitaker's character and B like he's gonna turn on you the second he sees an advantage for himself but anyway yeah they're looking for gold their job is to mine for gold and if they yeah so that's all I got yeah Terrell turns on the bartender for no fucking reason just cause he's a prick yeah ha <laughs> oh I have that note Scene with bartender was bad acting, but then I realized it was more of a uh, everything kind of. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is the whole movie. Yeah, Turl is lawful evil. Like as soon as the like bartender, as soon as he's out of like the technical agreement that he has with anyone, he will fuck you over. Like he delights in like, well, I didn't say this type deals. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's like yeah, it's like it's like a seven year old talking. It's semantics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's so crazy. I didn't say I wouldn't blow his head off. <laughs> You've made your point, Sammy. I said I would mine your gold. Please don't kill him. Please. Fine. As a gesture to our new working relationship, I will grant you this one request. I won't kill him. But you may never ask of me anything again. As I said, I won't kill him. Pleasure. Yeah, he's all about semantics. He's petty as fuck. He's a bad actor. He's not the kind of dude you want to be around. And, uh, Pappy, if... This guy loves anything more than gold. It's the word leverage. I dude, I wrote this in my letterbox review. I I don't know. I just find this ironic and and maybe I stole this from somewhere like way back when I like would watch like screen junkies and stuff. I don't know, but like it just seems really weird to me that all of the characters in this movie are so obsessed with like blackmailing each other and having leverage on each other when that seems like something that like, Scientology did and does a lot with like upper like more famous people or like you know what i mean like forcing people to stay within it like i is that like a tenant of elron rubber or elron hubbard Corey like having leverage over someone is that like in the like one of the commandments thou shalt have leverage when possible leverage (laughs) which means we'll need leverage over it so we'll need something primitive for leverage we're really going to have leverage over them now. Trying to get leverage over on us. 
getting leverage over a cyclo. That'll be the day. <laughs> man getting leverage over a cyclo. That'll be the day. Never underestimate what a little leverage can do. Rat brain. He has leverage over you. <laughs> uh, not exactly, but you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was something deeper into Scientology about that that the executives get that the lower folk don't about that. It's funny to me when I'm watching this and I'm seeing all the aliens that are clearly the bad guys, the cyclos, and I just see how similar they are to Scientologists or L. Ron Hubbard himself. Hell, fuck Turtle's boss with the double chin. Kind of looks like L. Ron Hubbard if you ask me. <laughs> this disgusting fat motherfucker that's in charge that's just collecting money off everyone's back. It looks like the Baron Harkonnen from Dune. He's got the same body Yeah, type. he's like that level of disgusting too, yeah. That's perfect. But, you know, I, I, I just see a lot of parallels with the Cyclos and the organization of Scientology. The Cyclos, they are like diehard capitalists. You know, they work for a corporation mm -hmm. and they are all about fucking money. And in this case, it's gold, which to me just seems fucking stupid that they want gold. Like, that's the thing that was picked. Oh, they're going to come to Earth because they want the gold. Because they, you know, unlike fiat currency, gold, you know, the value stays good. <laughs> like, <what> the, <laughs> the galaxy is on the gold standard, actually. Right. <laughs> they never got off of it. I don't know. Like, yeah. And what what is their purpose of having the gold even, right? Like, the, the, the movie never bothers to explain that. Like, I think John Travolta wants it to buy his way off the planet. Right, eventually, but then even still, like I don't like, is he is going to pay off the corporation? Like it's not really clear. Like what this gold is going to like buy favors? He's going to buy stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean whatever it is, and you know it makes me think because there's another movie that I gave this a pass on at one point in my life. It's called Cowboys and Aliens or Cowboys versus Aliens, but basically it's Old West United States and aliens have showed up with Daniel Craig. Yeah, yes, that's Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. Yeah, aliens showed up. But they showed up to get gold as well in that movie. And it's mentioned, like someone says, like, what, are they going to buy something? And someone else says, well, it's as valuable as a resource to them as it is to us. But the movie isn't about them getting gold in that case. So you kind of forget about it. Like, it's just a plot contrivance. Why are the aliens there? This movie, gold is a pretty prominent factor. And that, it starts to annoy you. It's like, come on, they really want gold? But <laughs> I'm going to go into that in a second. Stevie, Turl realizes that in order to get this gold, he needs leverage over the man animals. And uh, how does he go about getting leverage over them? By putting bombs in their necks? That's a good tact, but that's really not his knee-jerk reaction. He wants to find out what their favorite food is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dude. Okay, first off. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who this movie is for. Rat brains, clearly. I mean, I understand the gold thing, I guess. Like, what year did this movie come out? 2000. 2000. Y2K. Y2K. If you remember, like, in the, like, I remember this in the 90s specifically growing up. I feel like gold was brought up a lot when I was younger. If that, like, do you guys remember that at all? I feel like there was a lot of, like, we'll buy your gold commercials on TV. I, I feel like there was a lot of gold in the media. Like, I remember Amy McDonald's did a gold giveaway. I love gold. There was, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I just feel like there was a lot of gold 
in the media. Like bars, not just like gold, like Rolexes or gold, this, that, just like bars of gold in the media. I kind of forgot Fort Knox was a thing until this movie brought yeah. it up. I was like, oh yeah, that was in like all a bunch of Looney Tunes cartoons and stuff. And so I, the gold thing kind of makes sense to me in its time. It's okay. It kind of dates this movie. You know, I get it. But the rat scene outside of the Dutch angles like really bothered me. Because anyone, like, with a sense... That's why I think there was no adults in the set of this movie or in the writer's room when they rewrote it from Corey Mandel. Nothing works. It, it really bothers me they even left that in. That one does seem to be unusually intelligent and resourceful. But it's also defiant. Which means we'll need leverage over it. Over all manner. Well, man is a primitive species. So we'll need something primitive for leverage. Food. What do you think a man animal would like to eat? What do you think he would consider a treat? What crap should I know? There's no way of knowing that, sir. Hmm. Well, before we educate it on a learning machine, we'll take it to the mountains, along with a couple of the others. Let them think they've escaped. And then we'll sit back and watch it choose its favorite food. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, story-wise, it's absolutely insane, right? The idea that, okay, so we want to get leverage over man-animal. They're way dumber than us. We're super smart. So we got to find out what their favorite food is. That way, we can offer to give it to them if they do work for us. How do we find out what their favorite food is? Let's see. Let's let them escape and see what they eat. I guess, like, Travolta was trying to... I don't know, I guess poke fun at how stupid the Cyclos are, which, who are the Cyclos supposed to be, like, in life, Corey? Like, who are they supposed to represent? Let's ask this question. Let's be honest. Who do you think they would have voted for last two election cycles? Good point. Cyclos are staunch? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) The home office? Home office. I just, I don't know. I'm with you. It doesn't make any sense when they're, there's multiple times where they're just letting the, the man animals go and the man animals voluntarily go back into have, into like custody. It, it feels a little bit all over the place. Like there's, there's no reason to like just let them wander the countryside to find food to see what their favorite food is. But why would that be their favorite food? Like they haven't eaten for days. They're in this, like, frozen wasteland area of Colorado. They get the first thing they can find, which is a rat, and they eat it. But, like, this superior alien race is just fucking stupid, right? Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to believe these guys showed up. They got all the supreme technology. They wiped out everyone. They're large and in charge. And this is their idea? Like, this is dumb. Three days, and they still haven't eaten anything yet. Precisely. Now that the man animals feel that they have a safe enough distance from us, soon they'll find their favorite food and celebrate. Food. (gasps) That's their favorite food. Of course it is. They could have selected anything they wanted. But it's not even cooked. If man animal prefers its rat uncooked, then our job is that much easier. They like their rat so much. How come those two aren't eating? Don't you know anything? 
The leader of the pack always eats first. See? Is it supposed to be funny? Is it like a comedy of sorts? Of errors? No. <laughs> Not of errors. <laughs> like, like the arrogance of the Cyclops. Are we supposed to like think that's silly and ironic? Because they're so techno technologically powerful but dumb? Or is this like Ernest like trying to be like a serious sci-fi movie? I don't know. I, I think the moments of comedy are like uh, Turtle bumps his head. And then like yeah. his friend <laughs> smiles at him during a very weird wipe transition. A very awkwardly timed <laughs> one, mind you. But I think that's supposed to be like the aspects of comedy. What do you think, Josh? Were you laughing along or were you just like enjoying this movie because you clearly love it? I think Josh enjoyed this movie. Scientology apologist Josh. Uh, you know, you got a lot of characters really committing to the role. I feel like John Travolta's bravado and everything that's negative about him is pretty consistent throughout. Unfortunately, it is. <laughs> He's consistently bad. It's <laughs> <laughs> bravado. <laughs> Well, listen, it's bad He's... to how you would want to act, but he's not a human, so that makes sense, right? It's off-putting. It's different. Your brain is too small. Yeah, listen up, rat brain. Y'all just don't know about these big choices. <laughs> I have an idea for you guys. I always like to see, like, if you could retool a movie, would it make it any better? If... The Walmart brand Klingons spoke with a Jamaican accent. Would it be any better? So much better. I think it makes it better. I really do. Just Jar Jar Binks is running around. Certainly makes it funnier. Like they landed on, uh, you know, they landed on Jamaica. That's the first language they kind of interacted with, and they just went with that one and never dropped it. I think it works. <laughs> Who is the best push cart driver in all of Jamaica? You're looking at him. Then you gotta do it. No. Hey man, you could be famous. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine Travolta speaking in that accent like Chet, like uh, Chet Hanks? I, I think it works. Well, he would commit to it. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, there's a moment in this movie where Johnny learns a lot about the cyclo history about earth's history about all things why don't you kind of tell us what goes on there okay so he's getting like information beams into his eye it's like matrix when they learn skills i guess but like on a much bigger scale like he learns histories and he learns math and learns the cyclo language language which I thought all that was awesome I would take one of those things in a heartbeat but why I don't even remember why they want him to learn that they need somebody who's smart to or right yeah they basically want him to be like the uh, the leader of the humans in terms of the mining operation so mm, they need to be able to yeah. talk to him give him orders show him how to mine stuff show him how to fly their space helicopters etc yeah, so he learns that he acts like he hasn't learned it. Well, actually, I don't know. I think he's just pretty messed up from that first blast. And then he just learns a bunch of stuff, and he thinks they can overthrow them. 
You know, I saw this movie in theaters. Oh, God. In the year really? 2000. There was a lot of hype for this movie in the Scientology circles. I'll say mm. that. Remember, this was the year 2000. So I was uh, in middle school or maybe early high school. I think I was in middle school. And uh, the year before, Phantom Menace had come out. You guys remember that? Big deal. Mm-hmm. Well... This was like the Phantom Menace of Scientologists. Like It was like that kind of hype. Like, this movie coming out was a big fucking deal to them in the way that the Phantom Menace was for someone like me. So, it was a big deal. Every Scientologist saw this. Every penny this movie made was a Scientologist ticket. Almost, anyway. Because not that many people saw this. But I saw this also the weekend after I saw Gladiator. Oh my... And I remember telling my mom, she asks me, which one do you think was better? And I said, well, they're about the same. (laughs) (laughs) Because you kind of had to like this movie. You weren't allowed to say, like, this movie's a piece of shit. I mean, you could, but, like, that would have been very much frowned on. It's almost like talking bad about Scientology, right? It's one of those things that you can't do. Plus, I was a little dumb kid, and I was just like, laser beams, cool, who cares? What are reprimands for talking bad about Scientology? An ethics cycle. <laughs> An ethics cycle is where you have to do a, a series of grueling steps, which involve a lot of writing um, in order to move out of your ethics condition. The short version of it is you have to write up everything bad you've ever done in your life on paper, structured in a very top-to-bottom fashion. Like, I was here, I was wearing this, I was sitting in this position, I said this thing that I shouldn't have said, and you have to write it in a way where you're taking responsibility for it. So it's very time-consuming. That sounds like leverage. Leverage, baby. <laughs> it's leverage. <laughs> and, you have to, and you give it to them, so now they have leverage over you. Right? Yes. I mean, basically, when you're a Scientologist, your whole life has been confessed to them, and they have it in writing. Leverage. We'll do it to you every time. There's something about this movie that I think is a pretty equivalent, like, stupid moment of the the rat scene. And that's where after Johnny has learned all this stuff through their Matrix-style learning machine, he goes to the other caveman in the cage, and he starts, like, doing goodwill hunting formulas in the sand. Like, these huge algebraic <laughs> equations just, like, all across their cell. And he's just, like, trying to explain, like, advanced calculus to them. Josh, surely this caught your attention. Math is the language of the universe, Josh. Yeah. I really actually like the moments where he's like now enlightened man and all his other dudes are kind of like 
beneath him and like they're like uh they're like basically acting like Mikey when the movie's over 90 minutes they're like uh this movie's pretty long man I don't know if I can pay attention for this long (laughs) and I do like the notion that it's like he recognizes the advanced knowledge is what's gonna save him not just like running for their life eternally now are there too many dutch angles in here too many close-ups is the writing a little shaky i think so but the idea that like humanity has to make a stand is kind of solid i guess if all sides are equal and these three angles must also be equal uh, equal to what to each other it's the basic foundation of Euclidean geometry. Seems pretty hard to understand. No, no, only at first. Then it becomes clearer in your mind. See, I learned something called molecular biology. This, this is the symbol for water. And, and engineering. See, a wing, see? And, and line, and form, and artistic composition. You see, this, this is a square, like a cage. I thought we were supposed to be working on stuff to help us escape. This will. All this will. This is like a huge epic sweeping thing. So like, obviously I think in if something like this were to take place in quote real life, this would be like over generations, right? Like this man learned all these things. He passes it down. Humans are secretly learning it for maybe a couple generations before they they act on it. But in the like the course of a movie, I think you can forgive like some things have to move a little bit quickly here, right, Kylo? <laughs> <laughs> I talked about this on a big dumb movie recently. If a movie is overall pretty good where it has all of these things come together that make a film great, you can forgive certain things. You can gloss right over them, right? But in a movie like this, where so many things are absurd and you question this and then you question that and the questions start to build up and acting choices are bizarre at least and, you know, the the CG is bad and it looks bad and the sometimes like the props look weird and plasticky. I think you stop forgiving the small things at that point and they just kind of start stacking up on the pile. It's the in good hands theory. <laughs> you fool. Do you feel like you're in good hands or in Scientologist hands? I I really wonder especially like the acting for aliens. Like, how do you even put a barometer into what is good acting? Because clearly they're not supposed to be acting like a human. And also there's this language barrier I alluded to earlier. And I think Stevie, specifically you, like, with the aliens specifically, what puts you in such bad hands? <laughs> you're, in, you're in bad hands. Leaky, leaky hands. The minute you land... Like, first off, less is more. Any director worth her salt will tell you this. It's really strange that, like, this movie wanted to show off, like, the CGI of the ship when it's so bad. Even for its time, it's bad. And there's no denying that. 
in the scene where Barry Pepper, God bless his soul, is like taken in that cage, and it's supposed to be really oh. dramatic. And they're going back and forth between establishing shots of the ship and him in the cage screaming. And it is absurd. It's really hard to watch. And also, I would say the minute you know you're in bad hands is essentially when, you know, Turl, you know, my, my name is Turl. Damn it, Turl. Is, damn it, Turl is like kind of in his own element. He's longer just trying to hunt humans. And he's like just around like the bartender or Forrest Whitaker where they're playing, you know, North Korean leverage games with each other. (laughs) And you see the way this man acts and talks and you go, oh boy, I wonder where this is going. And I think the minute you really, it could have come way before that, but I think the minute you realize that you're in the worst hands possible for a movie is when they do the um, Corey, can you do that impression again where he talks about 50? Um, when he's gonna stay on that planet forever, we've decided to keep you for another 50 cycles with endless options for renewal, with endless, with endless options, options for renewal, with endless options for renewal, with endless, endless options for renewal. That's the minute you know, right there. You're like, oh boy, like this is walkout time in a theater. Something is wrong here, yeah, like, like something's not working here. Like, what's going on? That, that's pretty much like the dead giveaway of. You know, I can forgive, you know, kind of the ooze that they're drinking because I feel like that was a very prominent thing in the 90s as well was the ooze. Especially with the canisters being that shape, right, Josh? Dude, that was like, what are you doing here, guys? Like, that was aimed at a specific audience. Is there any doubt that they're when they drink, they also smoke death sticks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, here's a question. I don't really know much about the technical stuff. I don't know if this is an establishing shot. The first thing that really caught me off guard and I thought it was a really – weird choice, actually I had to rewind it, is it shows a planet and says Cyclo, and then it obviously shows a complete Blade Runner rip-off city. It shows them warping back, and then all of a sudden they're in the bar again, back on Earth. And I was like, wait. I was like, where are they? And I had to rewind it just to even catch it. What was the <laughs> point of showing that planet for eight seconds? They don't ever go back to it until the end. I don't know. I just thought it was really weird. Like, that was a weird time. That, to me, seems kind of like editor scramble mode. Yeah. That, to me, seems mm. like not enough B-roll. Mm. Um, because that's it's a big thing with movies is, like, it's a very overlooked thing is B-roll. And when you don't have the B-roll and you don't have the opportunity to go back for reshoots, that's that's editor scramble mode time, like, right then. So that's probably what happened. That mean, it sounds good. I mean, I guess they also had to show that you can teleport or something, because that's how what happens at the end. But it's just a weird choice to do it that quickly and then go right back to that blue color in the bar. It just made me think. I was like, wait, what is John Tavolta doing on Cyclo? That just was really weird for me. I had to rewind it. Happy. Johnny is going to lead a revolt against the Cyclos now that he has this newfound knowledge and he spent some time in the uh, Denver library. Uh, what right. kind of does he do to get this moving forward? Mm. They've got to learn, right? And they've got to learn to like sort of rise up and drive some of the uh, battleships. So Johnny's under a lot of pressure. 
to try and learn how to drive. Uh, was that, is that after? Is that later? We're trying to learn how to fly the or before we're trying to try to fly the ship before they're mining. It's close enough. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really struggling here, Kylo, because towards the end, I sort of like it all becomes a little bit of a blur. They're le legit blur. There are blurs in the <laughs> right, scene. Yeah. It's super weird. Like it's like what's going on. Like, and that's what I don't understand, too, is, like, once they start to execute their plan, I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead, but one thing I, no, go ahead. I do remember, like, once they get out of the, the cages, they're just, like, smashing up glass, like, wherever they go. You know what I mean? Like, like storefront glass, it looks like. I don't, like, understand, like, why they're doing that or, like, what their... It was mostly peaceful, though. Their plan could possibly be... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stevie. Staunch Brett. I, like, what could their plan possibly... Like, I don't know, like, like, what are they... I don't really know like what their plan is. Like Josh, am I, I missing? Distract, distracting them, so they can do the other things. They're gonna draw them out or something. I don't know. They hate glass, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we mentioned this a little bit, but the cyclos air that they breathe is flammable when any kind of radiation is present. So they're gonna nuke the cyclos, and that and that to me was like one of the worst shots of the movie like when those flames are like jumping in his ship when uh, he's the, initially the dropping planet. them off to mine like that is bad that looks terrible they also have to like deliver this gold to turl but they don't have time to mine because they got to like train in flight simulators and stuff you know mm -hmm. so, so they go to fort knox they mosey on over and they uh they take all the gold bars out of fort knox and they give them to turl and he's like oh th they're in bars like, why? And they're like, oh, we just figured you'd want them in bars because, you know, it's like neat. Since you had time to smelt them. Why is it in bars? I, I assume, sir, that the cycle of your refinement wouldn't, wouldn't settle for anything as coarse as raw ore. Really? Well, since you rat brains have had enough extra time to smelt it into bricks, I will now expect the rest of the gold in seven days. <laughs> Which, like, again, this motherfucker is dumb, right? Like, they don't have the necessary equipment to, like, do this, to accomplish this. They don't have, like, the press or whatever the fuck is used to make perfectly shaped gold bars. Can... Can I ask a Stevie question? No, you go ahead and ask it. I mean, it's like a Stevie. It's like a hypothetical, but I want your the real what happened to you when you learn when you taught yourself how to flight a thousand year old jet fighter plane. <laughs> did it take you seven days, or was it a little longer? Uh, my process was a little longer. Okay. Yeah, like I don't really wasn't using the uh, kind of um, aviation technology mm. they were using. Mine was a little older, yeah. so. A little tougher to get used to. I'm surprised it took you longer since you're literate and they were illiterate cave people. Not just that, but, you know, learning instruments, a lot of ins, lots of outs. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, those simulators, like, I... They're good. I wonder if there were any, like, Scientologist pilots that were just, like, like deep down when that scene came out, they were just like, motherfuckers. <laughs> like John Travolta? Is he a pilot? He is. Yeah, that's right. He's an avid one. At least he was. I don't know if he is anymore. He named his son Jet. He did? Well, yeah. R.I.P. Well, Nicolas Cage named his kid Kal-El, but he's not a, kryptonite, a Krypton. Did he really? No, he's a <laughs> Superman fan. Clearly. 
Yeah, Kal-El is, or Jor-El. It's either Kal-El or Jor-El. It's Cal. Cal. There you go. I've been trying to defend this movie a lot, too, tonight. But the scene where, <laughs> you know, one of these people that's been chanting above a rock trying to make it an iPhone for four generations, they hop in a flight simulator, and, like, ten minutes later, they're like, we can have the rest of the crew ready by Thursday. <laughs> like, what are you fucking talking about? Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. It's Robert the Fox. <laughs> You're right. It's like breaking a horse. I need you to teach your men how to fly this in seven days. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Uh, they don't know what cake is, by the way, either. Right. So it's, it's funny very that strange line. That saying has gone gone down through the generations. Apparently, <laughs> that one made it. You know. Sorry, I cut you off. I just I had that in my notes, and I just really wanted to hear how how Stevie taught himself how to fly. What's the half life of uh, gasoline? It's, is it a thousand years? I'm sure those jets would start up, no problem. First piece try. Of cake. A piece, piece of cake. Of cake, piece cake, bro. Did you hear him? He said piece of cake. Piece of cake, piece of cake. The dude also, when he's actually flying the jet at the big battle scene, he says, uh, he's like a total caveman, right? Yeah. He's got war yeah. paint on. He's like wearing like animal furs, but he's flying a jet at the end because he trained his guys and he trained himself in the flight simulator they found. Yep. And uh, at one moment, he shouts to another guy flying a jet. He goes, hang on, I'm right on his tail. <laughs> Oh, and I'm gosh. like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, man. Like, he definitely bullseyed some womp rats on the way there, though. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, they've played Starfighter. I was gonna say Top Gun for NES, but that works too. Star Fox, Star Fox, not Starfighter. Star yeah, Star. They've played Star Fox. Do a barrel roll. They did a barrel roll. Yeah, is roll. is that character's name Pappy? By the way, the frog guy. <laughs> Do a barrel uh, roll. I just played it. There's Slippy and there's like Peppy, something like that. <laughs> Who are Peppy you talking sounds... about? Star Fox characters. Oh, Star Fox. I never played that. Oh, it's good. Well, the 64 game's good. Stevie, why don't you tell us what goes down in the big revolt, right? They, there's an uprising against the why? evil Cyclone. <laughs> like... To Pappy's point, though, the uprising is people just breaking glass. I don't get it. I don't get the night of broken glass that's happening at all. It's weird. It's a weird it's thing for them to be doing. <laughs> the good guys. It's it's really weird. Like, that way is just very peculiar to me. Also, you got to remember, the plan is we're dropping nukes, bro. Not dropping nukes. We're teleporting nukes, which is a big, big part of this. Also, the acting just never gets better. So we have a really disjointed fight, which is one of my favorite parts of, of um, the movie between Barry Pepper and uh, John Travolta. And on top of this, just a whole lot of nonsense going on like as filler. <laughs> like, I feel like there's a lot of beats to hit here, Corey. Which one do you want to hit specifically? Because... I understand that war is chaos, and I'm sure that's what the directors were going for, and the writer was going for, is, you know, we're here to show that, like, war is disjointed, it's chaos, one really knows what's going on, <laughs> but, like, what part specifically do you want me to go over? Let's talk about some of the basics first. Like, what do you think of the action overall, if we can call it that? There's, like, 
two scenes that I thought were really well done. I don't know if they had a guest director come on for set one day. <laughs> uh, but there's a really neat scene. And, <laughs> you know, people can call it, like, dated or, you know, kind of matrixy. But I like that scene where Barry Pepper's, like... It's not when he's going through the glass, but there's another scene where Barry Pepper's running in slow motion, and there's a lot of depth of kind of like explosive discharges around him. I actually like that scene a lot. I thought it was really well done. Here's the thing about the action. Like it it doesn't look great, but it also doesn't look cheap either, which is such an anomaly for like a movie this not good. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't look like it was cheap to make in any way like the production design seems extensive right and and there's nothing that kind of gives it away as like a movie but just it just doesn't look good yeah i think it's it's lacking in a lot of places and one of the things that sticks out to me is the cg which is bad now and uh it was bad then i'm pretty sure like this it, it just doesn't look good so when you're watching something like this I think that takes you out of it in a lot of ways. Josh, what do you think of the uh, the aesthetics of the the final action scene, the big revolt? Uh, I guess it kind of harkens back to the very beginning of the movie where we see the clans kind of in their essence in the desert. I guess is that where they want to be again? They want the desert back. I don't think so because it's like radiated. Yeah, and they're not getting enough food there and stuff. Barely any rats. Well, I feel like to talk about this final battle, we need to bring up Kim Coates specifically. He was in Sons of Anarchy. A lot of people might know him from that. And he's really a hero of the battle if we're taking the movie like seriously, which I'm kind of trying to, guys. Trying to hold on to a thread here. He gets, like, the whole, like, dome thing down by, like, several personal sacrifices. Each one along the way he thinks is going to kill him. And he kind of, like, almost in an Austin Powers-esque way lives again to sacrifice himself again. (laughs) So I do think, like, you asked me earlier, Corey, is there some comedy here? I think there is. And I think... Kim Coates is a good enough actor to kind of see this in the performance too. Did you like any of this stuff in here with him at all, Corey? When I was a kid, I was like, I liked that dude a lot. Like I latched onto him. I was like, he's cool. Like he, you know, he's, he's kind of like along for the riot. He's Barry Pepper's right hand man throughout most of the movie. Like ever since they first are captured together. And I, I did like his big sacrifice moment when I was a kid. Looking back at it now, it's really hard to like things about this movie, I think, because so much around it is awful. It's hard to like things. What were you, what are you getting at with the aesthetic, though, of the final re- revolt? I feel like you're leading me somewhere, and I kind of whiffed at it. No, I mean, I, I think some of the uh, the effects here are, are the most egregious, right? With, like, the sky battle, and then, like, just a lot of like the placement of things that you see right when you see like the glass dome start to shatter and come down on everyone and then you see everyone down there and it's like okay they're all about to fucking be obliterated 
And it's like, oh no, I guess they're okay. There's just some little rocks. Huge missed opportunity. I want to see bodies in half, bro. <laughs> like, that size glass coming down? No way. But it's like mostly like fine, you know? It's just like some pebbles, some like debris. It's like, oh, they kind of cover their head and run in slow motion and they're fine. You know, there's uh, some Star Wars-style limb removals in this movie. Oh, my gosh. That people don't really bat an eye at, right, Brett? When Forrest Whitaker's hand goes off, it's like the most nonchalant. <laughs> that went inside his like outfit, dude. That's all he did. <laughs> he acted like he was going to grow it back. He didn't care at all. <laughs> it didn't hurt. There's no blood. Same with, with Travolta at the end. He gets his arm blown off, but it's just like... One of the best parts about that, too, is they never show Forrest Whitaker with one arm again. They only show him so one arm's visible for the rest of the movie. Like, there's never a shot of, like, him really? missing an arm later on. Yeah. He's only lost a hand, I think, right? You never see it, though. Like, it's like in the scenes where he's, like, waving at him, uh, waving at John Travolta in Fort Knox when he's all locked up, it's only from, like, the neck yeah. up. And he, like, waves one arm, and that's all you see. Like, you don't get to see it later on. I forgot when, oh my god, this is such a ridiculous scene. All It's like the most ridiculous 45 seconds in the whole movie, which is saying something. It's when Travolta's like, don't even try to run. I was the first marksman in my class. And then he starts <laughs> shooting the legs off of cows. And then he like goes behind his back and then all of a sudden, the cave people come out of nowhere and tackle him. It's like just so weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, and one of the things that I actually, I kind of liked about that, from what I remember, was like how he goes on this whole spiel about like how he was the top marksman, and you know, if you try to run away, he'll be able to like shoot you before you get a, whatever twenty feet away from him. And then Barry Pepper is just like, if you run, he'll shoot you. Yeah, like, that's it. That's all he's giving him. And that that actually was kind of funny. He's like, that's it. What does he say? That's all. Yeah. You will soon be relocated to a new mining site. And if any of you get any bright ideas about escaping, just keep in mind that although you know nothing about firearms, I certainly do. I graduated top marksman in my class, and I can kill any one of you at over a thousand paces. Tell them what I've said. You try to run, he'll kill us. That's it? Yes. That's at least mildly funny. So there you go, Josh. We're getting some positives here. Josh, what what's like a comp for this movie? Like, if this movie was in good hands and achieved what it was trying to do, like, is this supposed to be Star Wars, right? Like, what's the the tone of this supposed to be? I'm glad you asked me that because I want to straight up swing that back to you because I th- I think no, I always ask you a no, question, no, no. you never answer them. <laughs> I have an answer in in here though. I I think there's something like I got one. Yeah, they're okay. self-depreciating aliens that are kind of they're obviously technologically more advanced than humans, but they also maybe they're like so far advanced. It's almost like me, right? Like I can f- hardly find my way across town without using GPS. So in a way, like I kind of relate to these cyclos like hugely dependent on relate they they're dependent on their technology (laughs) in a way that i am as well (laughs) that's about it cb but anyway uh (laughs) i think like 
there's some like charming aspects and like they another thing that's like consistent is like John Travolta doesn't seem to care about dying and they don't seem to care about getting maimed and they legitimately think like the worst fortune that could happen upon their best friend is like the most hilarious thing that could happen in the universe and I think a better movie would sell you on that this could actually be a point of view that a different race has like attained at this point in their like evolution. And I think the fact we're all kind of taking it as a joke is proof in the pudding that it just wasn't very good movie making or something, Pap. But don't you wish that that's like something that you could delve into and explore and get in the mind space of without just thinking like, Oh, this is cheesy and I hate it. I mean, if I was going to do anything, I wish that the yeah the whole beginning would just be better and you'd have like a big chunk of this movie dedicated to, you know, post-apocalyptic human tribes and the fact that these cyclos exist could be like, you know, like a midway through the movie twist before you even see them or anything. I don't know. Like to me, like the closest comp, honestly, Josh is ice pirates i think that was a you me and stevie podcast just because this is like such a ridiculous sci-fi movie i think it is going for like comedy more at times but i think this movie wants to be star wars i think they wanted this to be like a franchise it's more like bright wasn't on that podcast it ends with the the death star getting blown (laughs) up you know Mm mm-hmm they were definitely going for Star Wars stuff. You know, Stevie was kind enough to send me a video of the writer talking about this movie. Poor Corey Mandel. You know, he talked about kind of like the way it was presented to him from Travolta was like kind of like this big fun Star Wars movie. And, you know, he says he he caved on writing the script. He didn't want to, but like he kind of with his position in Hollywood at that time, he kind of needed to get a big project out there and to get the the payroll that comes along with it. I went in and um, took the meeting and they told me what I wanted to hear and I wanted to hear it. And they told me this has nothing to do with Scientology. You know, we had a sci- we had a writer from Scientology and the script is completely unusable. Um, we're not following the book literally. And we just want a big Star Wars movie and um, it's gonna be really fun and, and just told me everything I want to hear. And John Travolta was like, he's really good at making me feel really special and this is gonna be a great movie and all of this. But I was really tempted because I'm like, this will get made. And this could be a big fun Star Wars movie maybe. Because at the point I was feeling like if I don't get something made, no one's gonna hire me again because you can write some scripts that get close to being made and they don't get made, but at some point, if you've written five, six, seven scripts that haven't actually got made, then at some point people are going to blame you. And I really felt like I was, if I wasn't there, I was getting there. But one of the things I don't like about a bad movie is that when someone talks about it that was heavily involved, they really just don't take responsibility for it. And you just see that time and time again. You know, you don't really see a lot of well, like, yeah, I fucked this up really bad. It's always like, oh, the studio came in and did this. Or my beautiful script was rewritten. Studio interference, yeah. And, you know, I don't think... I haven't read the book. I was really considering reading the fucking book, but it's like 47 hours on Audible. It's like insane. And I... 
can just guarantee that it's bad. I've read tons of L. Ron Hubbard books, and they're all bad, and they're always poorly written. You know, he's very famous for doing just one draft when he writes stuff, and you know, I, I didn't want to make myself suffer more than I had to, but yeah, definitely to kind of go back to what was asked originally, there was some intended Star Wars vibes here. Corey, you are right about kind of like people not taking responsibilities, but this is like the, one of the rare cases where I think this you just got fucked from Jump Street because like, <laughs> so I'm sure you know the story behind this. I'm sure you watched that video I sent you, but when the studio that had the budget for this dropped out, you know, they had a movie ready to go that was pretty much budgetless. And that's when that movie studio that came in that wasn't a movie studio. And, you know, they fronted everything. Franchise? Yeah, franchise. It really wasn't like a movie studio. Um, I think they also got in some trouble later on. But, you know, usually after someone takes a draft, even like on a studio, like on a studio draft, if they're going to, you know, bring someone in to rewrite it, you know, if... 33% of your original draft isn't there. You're not going to get your name put on it. And even though they had people come in, and since it wasn't like a normal studio, when they did the redraft, there was no one to accredit to but Corey Mandel. So he did get kind of screwed that way. My understanding is that David Miscavige was like getting the dailies literally for this. It was, and that's why it's so linked to Scientology, not just because it was an L. Ron Hubbard book, but there was a huge Scientology like presence in hand in the creation of this movie. And this is the studio that gave us Boondock Saints, too. This movie killed that studio. I forget what it's called. Um, franchise? Yeah, franchise. Yeah, this is the Boondock Saints studio, and this movie killed it. It's sad. Yeah. This movie I mean, killed it. One of the uh, high-up Scientologists in the organization, I think, think it was Mike Rinder, but I might just be saying his name because he's like one of the most outspoken guys there is. He kind of like works with Leah Remini and they make all these documentaries, but I think it was him or someone else that said what you said, Pappy, that David Miscavige was like getting the dailies and kind of calling shots on the way this movie came out. And then it came out and he was all happy about it until the reviews came in the next day. (laughs) And then he was like, he disowned it like completely had nothing to do with it. And apparently, according to what this insider said, is that he was then pissed at Travolta and was, like, blaming him. He micromanaged that movie for months, every day. He'd come in giggling, and he'd say, you got to see this. And he's showing us the rushes from Battlefield Earth. He's literally getting daily rushes, the shots for the day, um, just before it came out. There's, like, 12 people in this whole theater. And we watched the movie, and he's sitting next to me, and he's, like... Right when the initial credits are coming on, he's nudging me like, he says, look at this, I can't believe it. I'm telling you, this is, a, this is a Hollywood movie. I mean, he was blown away. He thought it was the greatest thing that ever happened. When we went out into the, to the um, parking lot on the way out, he says, get John on the phone. And he's going, John, blow away, blow away. The old man would be so proud of you. I mean, this is the best thing that's happened for Scientology in probably two decades. I mean, he just went on. So flash forward, opening weekend was the next weekend. Already on Saturday morning, every site was already talking about Turkey of the century and all that other business, you know. 
he just cancels as if, you know, we're just going to forget what happened for the past eight months of this matter of him micromanaging the whole thing and then worshiping John Travolta when the final product came out. And all he's distancing himself. I mean, it's now it's not we, it's them. And that cocksucker. JT is now that cocksucker. He said, Travolta took a salary and he said, for $10 million, we could have had proper CGI. The special effects is what destroyed that movie. He said, Travolta's SP. He, fuck, he sabotaged this whole. Cruz turns to Miscavige and he goes, hey, Dave, what's up with JT? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, BE, man, Battlefield Earth. Miscavige goes, oh, that piece of shit. He goes, listen, man, if I had anything to do with that, if I had any power, that thing never would have been made. I mean, he's got some out ethics, but it's getting, take, it's get, it's getting taken care of. Good. Tom's like, good. Jesus Christ. I mean, God, I don't know what he's thinking. And this dude, David Miscavige, the, he's called the chairman of the board of Scientology. <laughs> he is a fucking hothead. Like, he is, in every story you'll hear about him, he's depicted as some super agitated, angry motherfucker that gets, like, physical with people all the time. Doesn't he, does he have kind of like a Napoleon complex? Isn't he really small? I don't know for sure. Maybe. I don't know if it's that, but, yeah, you know, I think it's the power. But that might be a factor. <laughs> Pappy, why don't you tell us about how this ends, right? They, they blow up Cyclo. They have a, mm -hmm. a payload to deliver, Sunshine style. Mm -hmm. So they blow up Cyclo. Like we said, we see him teleport through with the help of some cover fire from the other human, human animals. One of the most ridiculous plot points, I think we talked about it a little bit, but there's a collar that explodes just enough to blow off a limb or a head, or whatever it's attached to. Like the first time we see it used, it's very dramatic in the movie. They're all screaming in slow motion over silence. It's like when Gandalf falls. Second time we see it used is utterly ridiculous. Johnny straps it to John Travolta's Turl's arm. Turl? John Travolta doesn't know it, and Johnny gives him the old, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> and Terrell blows off his arm. It's so stupid. But the Cyclo's home planet is nuked. And then I think there's like one shot of like a Top Gun run of the jets that we've, the, the humans have taken over. Then it ends in Fort Knox. And it's really kind of focused on John Travolta's character. Like his demise and not even so much like the humans uprising. You know, it's like a really weird beat to end the movie on. Right, Josh? This this little downer part here. Why don't you vaporize me? Leverage. If there are other cyclocolonies out there, they'll send out their gas drones and exterminate us. But if they learn that it was your greed that destroyed their home planet, then all the credits in the universe won't equal to the bounty that they put on your head.
fixed the problem with it. It works fine now. You imbecile! What kind of crap lousy game are you playing? Since so I'm teaching them all about our technology, they made me the head cyclone. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the bright side. You may not be wallowing in luxury on Cyclo. But at least you finally got your goal. <laughs> What's such a downer about it? It's sequel bait for a first movie. It's just like, I don't know, I feel like they would like... Like even like Star Wars, like like cuts like the metal ceremony or something. You know what I mean? It's just weird to be like, haha, you're in a cage now. And it's not about like the humans' triumph or like what's next. Oh, but if even. Christopher Nolan did this, it'd be genius. Oh, for God's sakes! <laughs> Probably. If this movie was backwards, I might be all for exactly. it. Exactly. Which should make an accent. I think one thing that's interesting is like this gold glow on Travolta's face is very reminiscent of the glow he gets from opening the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. But it was like, they tried to be like, what is the glow? It's just like a million bars of gold from Fort Knox in his face. <laughs> Have you heard the theory that the uh, what's in the suitcase is actually his Thetan? Oh, no. Thetan. I mean, I've heard soul. Is that just another word? That's for what a Thetan is. That's... <laughs> Well, sorry, we speak a different language. I grew up in Indiana. You grew up in... That joke would have killed in a group of Scientologists, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say as well, the way that the, um, the, way that the cyclos like, look down on humans kind of did remind me of the way Scientologists look at non-Scientologists, which they have a word for. They call them wogs. So like it's like log? it's muggle. like muggle, right? You're not like in the group. So I kind of got some of those vibes. Like it's almost like they're so enlightened and everyone else is kind of dumb. We're glib. And it's just weird to me that like the villains are very similar to the Scientologists in this movie. We have names for Scientologists too, but I'm not gonna say it on air. We'll bleep it out, Brad. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, dude. Loser, I don't know. <laughs> got him. Dang. Got a big time. <laughs> Can't believe you said that. Do you is it? Do you think Corey? There's any risk of blowback from Scientology? Or are, they, are they that petty? Because I know, like you know, huge creators have come after like this movie and them. Do you worry about that ever? No, that's uh, that's how they exert control over people, you know. And I would never allow myself to be in a position where I'm not going to do something because of a Scientology blowback. Because that is what they want. But you know what? I'll say this. This is kind of an exception. I won't really say the things I'm saying on this podcast around my dad, who is an active Scientologist. Not because I'm hiding that from him. He knows that I don't like Scientology. But it would make a lot of work for him. So he would have to report what he heard from me. And then he would be in trouble. And then he'd have to do a lot of bullshit and spend a lot of money, and I just don't want to put that on him because I like him. <laughs> but do you? So he he shouldn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, didn't you start off he, this podcast by complaining about your family members only listening to it sometimes? Like Tyler, 
every once in a while listens. That wasn't a complaint, but my dad, <laughs> my dad would never listen to a podcast I made. I'll tell you that. So if you, if, is it because you're his son? That's why he would have to report it. Or if he hears anybody talk shit, does he have to report anybody? It? But if, if it's me doing it, that's why he'd be in trouble. Hmm. Seems unhealthy. It's not great. <laughs> Final thoughts, gentlemen. Pappy. We didn't talk about him, but there's that little alien translator guy that comes up when Johnny's getting his memory dump, but like right before, you know what I mean? And he looks like the Asian aliens from Phantom Menace. You know I mean? <laughs> okay. Just like him. The Nemoidians. Yeah, he looks just like a Nemoidian. It's weird. This is getting out of hand. <laughs> now there are two of them. <laughs> yeah. You can do that accent. I can't, but yeah. <laughs> That was my only final thought. It's getting out of hand, Palpatine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyone else have any final thoughts? My favorite, I don't, I'm going to butcher this line, but it cracked me up and he's like, Ah, you fool. You broke the number one rule of firearms. You never store loaded weapons. It's like, what? <laughs> I thought you were supposed to check the barrel. <laughs> If any of you rat brains do anything about firearms, you would know that you never store loaded weapons. Brett, have you ever broken the number one rule of firearms? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say. You never store them loaded, don't you know, man? I I do. You got to take the time to load it in an emergency. No. Nope. Um, Also... I hope this is true, but like apparently John Travolta said that this is movie was like Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, but better. And then he said it was the Schindler's List of science fiction films. Hmm. You like Star Wars: A New Hope, but better. I was actually going to bring that up in my final thought because there's a couple IMDb facts that I just find really funny. That was one of them. Uh, I'll read off the other one, which is a little bit longer. Uh, Despite the film's critical and financial failure, John Travolta has gone on publicly to defend it. Even though the film made less than $30 million at the worldwide box office and received received seven Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture and Worst Actor, Travolta claimed that not every film can be a critical and box office success. It would have been awful if only Battlefield Earth was neither. That's not the case. It's edging toward the $100 million mark, which means it's found an audience even if it didn't impress the critics. I'd like to see proof of that $100 million. He throws that around a couple, a couple different interviews, yeah. There's a little more. It says, For years, he remained adamant that the film would become a cult classic and that a sequel was in the works. He even said that if they were to make it again, he would do it. Which, uh, oh, you sure. know, I think would be actually a great idea. It is kind of a cult movie. He's kind of right, right? This is a notoriously bad movie. It's a cult movie in the same way that The Room is a cult movie or that Birdemic Shock and Terror or Troll 2. So I think making a sequel might actually bring some uh, people to the theater. There are so much uh, that reminded me of Pulp Fiction, but in the year 3000 instead, the kind of dark humor it had and the uh, cool kind of hip qualities that the movie had. Did that movie hurt his standing within like the Church of Scientology? 
You know, I don't know for sure, but I think it had to have. I think it killed his career again. <laughs> no, he's like he's like him and like Burt Reynolds have had so many like <laughs> comebacks and. But sorry, Corey, I thought you were done. No, I got two other things, which are two letterbox reviews that I thought were funny. One I think is the most liked on there by Matt Lynch, which says, "A Dutch oven of Dutch angles." Oh, that's good. <laughs> Saw this theatrically, but had almost no memory of it, which turns out to have probably been a defense mechanism. And then this other one from Lynx, I really love this. It says, John Travolta smokes crack and cosplays as British Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Josh, do you have any final thoughts before yes or no's? Yeah, just if you are listening to this and know kylo's paw don't don't tell him about it don't tell my pa (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't need to be getting in trouble okay just let him ignorance is bliss okay he'll tan my hide (laughs) (laughs) uh one other final thought here guys and that is that uh one of the producers is a guy named jonathan crane which makes a lot of sense to me because I knew a Batman villain had to be involved with the production of this movie. (laughs) Nice, nice. All right, let's get into the nose section. Can I have one uh, final thought? Okay, go ahead. You can talk about, like, how this ruined, like, Corey Mandel's career, this, like, you know, pretty much solidifying, like, like, pretty much killed John Travolta's career again for, like, the third time. But, like... The fact that Barry Pepper didn't like crawl under a rock and go live a normal, quiet life after this, I think says a lot about like him. Yeah. Went on to win an Emmy. Nuts. I mean, Barry Pepper has been in movies since pretty much I could pretty much pretty much since I was in the second or third grade. Like, I've always recognized Barry Pepper in movies. He's a strong guy, that's all I gotta say. How he didn't quit acting and go live a normal, quiet life is just insane to me. Good on him. I'm not asking which everyone would want to watch, but is this better or worse than Southland Tales? Worse. It's worse than Southland Tales. Better. No way. I think it's worse too, but like, for different reasons. Like, it's just acted so poorly. Southland Tales is just like a freaking mess. Of. Yeah, and it's, it's you're right. There's like a a different kind of mess here. Yeah. At least it doesn't break the fourth wall. Southland Tales looks like a movie. Like it, this doesn't even look like a movie. I think everyone said this was worse. I just which one's shorter? <laughs> this one is. It has to be Southland Tales. Never fucking ended. It's still playing. Southland Tales was like 19 <laughs> movies in one. I love that chord. It's still playing. <laughs> All right, I just wanted that. Yeah, it popped in my head. I'm like, I mean, I'd probably rather watch you send Los Enchiladas again. No offense, Josh. But, you know. All right, well, I'm going to go first, guys. And I'm going to give this a no. Battlefield Earth has some funny stuff that is largely unintentional, but that doesn't make it a good movie, necessarily. You know, I think it's okay to watch this every few years and just laugh at the awfulness of it. And this is just for me personally, of course. I'm sure Josh will, you know, sit down for a thrilling sci-fi adventure. But, you know, 
I don't think the acting choices work. I don't think there's really any defense for them. What John Travolta is is doing is just pure, like, ego hamming, this weird Shakespearean, Rastafarian alien. He fucking (laughs) looks weird. He sounds weird. He's dumb, but they're supposed to be smart. It's cheesy. The stuff that happens is, like, supposed to be big, epic, and sweeping, and I don't feel those stakes because so many things in the movie are ridiculous the transitions are absurd there's times when like like i said earlier john travolta bumps his head then it cuts to turtle laughing and then you get that wipe like split his face in half and then to the next scene these slow wipes are just a clear indication that they're trying to be star wars this movie will obviously never be star wars unless we're comparing it to the holiday special Pappy, you're up. This is a hard no. <sighs> I don't I don't think it is like one of the worst things we've ever spoiled. Because we've spoiled some pretty terrible, unwatchable things. But I feel like the only reason that it's not is that it still had some kind of budget. Now apparently there was also some financial fuckery going on and like the budget was misreported and it was actually way less than they said it was or something but regardless like like compare this to like some of like the worst worst movies we've ever done like it's not you can still hear what the actors are saying you know what I mean it doesn't feel like an Alexander Cooper movie but I don't know Coop. I feel like the like the worst watching this like I feel kind of yucky watching this like I rented it on YouTube and I feel bad even like supporting Scientology, if they're getting any kind of like chunk of money from this, be it how, how small, or even if I'm just like adding to that made up hundred million dollar movie or hundred million dollar figure that John Travolta throws around, it's really bad. It's really disorienting to watch. I get that maybe the editing saved it, but to me, it's like the editing or the way that the story is put together is like the most distracting, worst part. And like, the short shots at the beginning the constant wipes like I know the Dutch angles are more of like a cinematography choice but this does, doesn't look like a movie a lot of times and outside of those like few cool like production design moments or moments that are kind of like moments of humor that work there, there's like nothing to glean from this and like, like I said I don't feel good even supporting this movie so very hard hard no and I think that the reason Josh has been soft on this is that Los Enchiladas have been catching strays all night. I would <laughs> way rather watch Los Enchiladas than this. Not even close. <laughs> Hard no. I don't understand how that keeps coming up. Why does that keep coming up? <laughs> Josh. Well, if I gotta weigh this against Los Enchiladas, then... I don't know where this false premise came from, to be honest. But I went into this thinking it would be an overdramatic film with like a lot of deaths and a lot of emotion. And instead, it's just like a weird, weird sci-fi flick. I was into it. I, I think it's kind of hilarious that you guys levied the complaint during this podcast that the aliens aren't alien enough, but then you also levy the complaint that the aliens are too alien to relate to. And it's just tough to have it both ways, I think. 
I like this. <laughs> I like this as a short story in my life. I like knowing this exists. The connections to Scientology are a little bit beyond me, but I'm really glad we got this glimpse into Kylo's life as well during this podcast. Like, huge bonus as well. And Stevie, before you give your yes or no, I just think you you love the movie Legend, and I think yeah. This is almost me getting on. It's a movie. This is me getting on board with a movie like Legend. I I like this. I I enjoyed this today. I'm giving it a. I guess a yes. <gasps> oh fuck off! Oh no! I hate you so much. You always do this shit. Contrarian Josh. So Josh, what is the adios amigos part of Battlefield Earth? <laughs> Adios, muchachos. <laughs> Adios, amigos. Because you have to have that if you're going to like compare the two. Like, What is that moment in this movie? Oh, man. I don't know. One of the times they say the word leverage. Uh, right? <laughs> leverage, man, animal. <laughs> yeah, you could like, take a drink every time you hear like leverage. Good Lord. Stevie, you're up. Shut <laughs> Josh gave this. I don't even know how I can follow that. Give it a yes. I I just liked it today. It's not the best movie I've ever seen, but I had fun, and it wasn't so serious as I thought. It, it, I had a good time. He's a cyclo. <laughs> I am a psych. I'm a psycho. Whoa. Josh, they got a hold of Josh for the podcast. God damn it. <laughs> um, man, this is such a hard no. Come on. And a lot of it really does have to do with like the Church of Scientology's involvement. They're kind of... I wouldn't say their goal, but that church and their leaders have ruined so many people's lives. And it's kind of shocking to me that there was never an adult in the room like making this movie. And the Dutch angles are just... It's hard. That is hard to get over. Hard on the eyes. And the way I describe this movie is like aggressive. Everything is over the top, and the Dutch angles really don't help. And I feel like they're trying to either tell me something or sell me something every time I see a Dutch angle, which is the entire movie. I guess I could just say good on Barry Pepper for, you know, not quitting acting. And (laughs) shame on... (laughs) I mean, good on him. Backhanded compliment. Honestly, like... That's a low place to go, man. Being that young, being put in the lead of a movie with, you know, John Travolta before he killed his career again, and it going that far south so quickly. Good on him and shame on John Travolta, who's a veteran actor who's been around the industry for that long, thinking this movie had a chance at working. That kind of just goes to show his hubris and sanity. So yeah, hardest of nose. Oh my god! Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> Brett, you are up. This is definitely a hard no, but I'll say to Josh's point, but I don't really mean that. It, as I told Brittany, it wasn't as unentertaining as I thought it was going to be, but it's just so bad. Like everything we talked about, like it would be these really weird yellows and greens, and then like these really <laughs> weird blues and. But it was like really off-putting. Like I think Stevie brought up uh, sunshine. That's the one we just did. 
Like, mm. that had those color changes, too, but they were, like, I won't say subtle, because the colors weren't subtle, but it just was more, just way better all around. I'm, it's hard to compare these two. I, I shouldn't, but that's just kind of what I'm going for. They were so off-putting. I like Barry Pepper a lot. <laughs> um, it's I'm with Stevie. It's really sad that he went through this, but I'm glad he's stuck with it. Uh, like Stevie said, uh, hard, hard. No, it's just a bad, bad movie. I think if you like it, you're a fool. <laughs> just kidding, Josh. Damn. It's okay. Rat brain. <laughs> <laughs> Josh was really expected some backup. <laughs> I gave Jack and Jill a yes. So I'm not judging you at all. <laughs> oh. I do regret it though. So maybe Josh will come to regret this. Swords and Shields coming up soon. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, it is time for trivia. No! This is Poor Man's Jeopardy! If this is your first time listening to spoilers, we do trivia at the end of every episode. And the winner will get to choose the next movie we review, and they'll host that episode. The trivia game I've chosen is Poor Man's Jeopardy, which is like Jeopardy in a way. The contestants here are going to answer in the form of a question. Correct answers give points. Wrong answers take points away. I have a board that I shared to the contestants. And in this case, we did something a little different because the patrons helped me out with some of these categories. So thank you to the patrons. The categories are... Cohen Brothers Films, which was suggested by Total Movie Recall. Thank you, Ellis. Your One Ugly Mother, which is a category that was suggested by Derbs because Brett used it in his Predator trivia, and Derbs liked it so much they said, you should bring it back. Back to the Future. Taking us back to 1985 was suggested by patron Abigail. All the correct responses are movies that take place in the year 1985. Oh, wow. And lastly, Ghostbusters 2. Advantage category. And of course, this time, Brett, you haven't hosted in a long time, so you do have the advantage. That means you get to go first. What is your category and point value selection? Um, I never played this right, so I'm going to go different. I'll take Ghostbusters 2 for 3. Ghostbusters 2 for 3. This ghostly pair of psychopathic brothers make an appearance during a courtroom proceeding. Who are the Scolari brothers? Put away from murder! I gave them a chair! Scolari brothers. <laughs> That is correct, Brett. You have taken three points right in the beginning. Very well done. Stevie, you are up next. Oh, fun, fun. Let's do Coen Brothers for two. This would interest you. In this Coen Brothers film, John Goodman plays an obnoxious loudmouth named Roland Turner. I feel like I'm going to say this and it's going to be wrong. 
I'm gonna say that would be. Can I say his name wrong? <laughs> uh, hmm. I'll say what is inside you and Davis. Judges. Yeah. That's fine. What is inside Lou and Davis? That's right. Lou Stevie, you got two points. And Josh, you're up. Lou and Davis. I want the Cohen brothers for one. Look at the parking lot, Larry, is a quote <laughs> from this <laughs> Cohen brothers classic. I would have to get this because this is a Josh pick. What is it? Who is a serious man? <laughs> right? That is correct. Yes. Although I actually wrote it incorrectly in my notes, I'm realizing. I wrote, what is a simple man? <laughs> you are correct. All right, Leonard Skinner. I wrote it wrong. Wow. That threw me off. Pappy, you're up. Give me back to the future, taking us back to 1985 for three. All right. It's a wordy title, but don't blame me. It was Abigail's title. I like it. In this 1998 film, Matthew Lillard stars as Steve-O, a young adult who is heavily immersed in a small counterculture group of colorful characters. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Train spotting? Nope. Jason Segel wants to know her name. Yep. I'm sorry, it is not train spotting, Stevie. SLC Punk. SLC Punk. Bob. Uh. RP. It's got the funniest drug scene of all time when he walks through the sprinklers with the acid. Yes, it does. Score update for the listeners, and I agree, Brett. Uh, Brett has three points. He's in the lead. And then Stevie with two. Josh with one. Pappy has buried himself early with Woo. a negative three. three. But he can come back. Brett, you're up. Okay, uh, let's go your one ugly mother for three. All right. I styled these uh, the way I wrote these uh, to match the way you wrote yours, Brett. Okay. I played Freddy Krueger in the 2010 Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, bitch. Ha! Who is Jackie Earl Haley? Ooh, good one. Jackie Earl Haley is correct. Whoa. Bad News Bears. Yep. And uh, your movie, uh, not... Uh, Watchmen. Watchmen. That's... You're locked in here with me. It's tight. All right, Stevie. Your one ugly mother for... What are my options for the points for those? One and two. You don't have your browser up or what? He said Chrome would No, my Chrome will not open. Oh, there it is. Yay. Huzzah, right? Let's do your one ugly mother for two. I voiced Kuil in The Mandalorian, and people sometimes confuse me with Gary Busey. Who is Nick Nolte? Correct. Be, right? Let's go. It's the only one that confused people with Gary Busey. Nice job, CB. Josh, you're up. Thank you. I want to do this... Uh... Back to the Future, taking us back to 85 for one. 
This film is set in an alternate version of 1985, where we follow a group of former superheroes, including Night Owl, Rorschach, and Silk Spectre 2. <laughs> the Watchman? What is The Watchman? Correct. Sorry about that. Yay. Why, why are you sorry, Brett? Because I just brought it up. Josh knew that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he did. I've read it. Give me Ghostbusters 2 for 1, please, Kylo. All right. Dr. Peter Venkman is played by this actor. Not Dan Aykroyd. Rest in peace, Harold Ramis. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. <sighs> Was it Dan Harold Ramis plays Egon Spangler. It's Brett. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. <sighs> A score update for the listeners. Brett has six. Stevie has four. Josh has two. Pappy has negative four. I would like Ghostbusters 2 for two, please. All right. This is the principal villain of the film, most often represented in the form of a sinister painting. Who is... He is Vigo, the Carpathian. That's correct. You are like the buzzing of flies to him, Brett. Ooh. Brett won, right? That's over. Let's go. Brett has won. Do you guys want to run through the last few? I've never won Poor Man's Jeopardy. Stevie always beats me in devastating fashion. You're too rich. Stevie, which one do you want? Just for funsies. Coen Brothers for three. In O Brother, Where Art Thou, this trio of children sings a tune called In the Highways. Oh. That's hard. Dude, I... That's probably like a group called like the Goldilocks Sisters 4. I don't know. Yeah, something sisters, know. right? The little Warby Gals. Yeah. It's the Warby Gals, exactly. Are they bona fide? <laughs> Josh? Uh, uh, you're one ugly mother one. I played Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs. <gasps> Uh, who is Steve Buscemi? Yep. Buscemi. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Pappy, Back to the Future, taking us back to 1985 for two. Mm -hmm. The lead character of this film eventually gets the girl with the help of singer Billy Idol on an airplane at the end of the film. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, The Breakfast Club. Wedding singer. Come on. Wedding, Wedding singer, singer is correct. Julia Gulia, man. Julia Why is that Gulia? Funny? That's, that's like a happy movie for me. I like that. Good round of trivia, boys, but of course, Brett takes it. You are the winner, Brett. I'm going to give it to Spoiler Man for now while Brett thinks of which movie he wants to pick for the next host. What you got to say, Spoiler Man? 
be sure to check out Corey's podcast, Big Dumb Movie. Thank you very much, Spoiler Man. I'm going to give the floor to Brett so he can announce what movie he's going to pick for his next host. And hopefully crawl out of the doghouse in the meantime. In in good news, my right nut has felt much better. It's much better. I was in a lot of pain for about 20 minutes. Actually, if you listen, go back a few minutes before I said that I was in pain, and you could hear me. I think you could probably hear me gasp when it got crushed. Okay. Ooh, bonus content for the end of the episode. (laughs) I am going to pick a movie that I think I think is really cool, but I guess we'll find out. Um, unfortunately, it's got one of Corey's least favorite actors in it, but I think he's good in it. So we are going to be spoiling the 2005 classic Sin City. Wow. Mm. There we go. Corey All doesn't right. like Clive Owen? He doesn't like Bruce Willis. Oh, oh, yeah. I gotcha. Willis Beef, I gotcha. But I love Mickey Rourke. He loves Elijah Wood, though. Mickey Rourke is so good in this. Yeah, oh my. I think this movie's awesome, but we'll get to it. But yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I got. Good pick, Brett. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening. That's about all we got for this time. Take it away, Spoiler Man! Special thank you to our patrons. Gail. Whatever serves the corporation best, sir. Matt Troll. You might, and I might suddenly grow a third arm. Brother Brian. Explained. Unfortunately, the company requires me to vaporize you. Druid King. You have a busy day, Rat Brain. Nick. Your powers of observation are simply startling. The Meg. It's Megalodon. Nurse Stacy. <laughs> leverage? A female getting leverage. Ha! The Wolf. Oh, oh, oh! Stupid humans. <laughs> Barky 420. Pretend that you're not a complete imbecile and check the compo gradients. Total movie recall. Damn right, rat brain. That's the first intelligent thing you've said yet. PK! Crap, ah! lousy ceiling! I thought I told you to get some man animals in here and fix it! Spencer! The hell, it could even be. More friendly bartender! Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. To do this, one, search for movie spoilers. Two, click on our orange spoilers bowl logo and scroll all the way to the bottom. Three, leave us some stars and some words. 
Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Spoilers is now available on Audible. That was spoilers.